Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Linford, and I am here today with, my gosh, an inspiring woman who has got bucket loads of energy. It's the incredible Barbara Majeski. TV personality, in particular, a superstar over in the US, but she's going for global domination. So not only that, she is bearing it all with her podcast, with her community that she's creating, and is absolutely killing it on the new social media platform, Clubhouse, which is where we met. So welcome to the podcast, Barbara. Thank you, Jeanette. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so grateful to be uh, in meeting your audience, talking with you. This is going to be a fun morning. Absolutely. I've been so looking forward to it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. Yes. It's great. So uh, listen, Barbara, you are incredibly well known in the US, of course. Um, but over this side of the pond in the UK or maybe other parts of the world, you know, because podcasts are listened to all over the world. Maybe people don't know so much about your backstory and, and kind of where you've come from and what you've done. So it would be amazing if you would give us a quick canter through and then we are going to get into all the detail from there. If that's OK, okay. I love it. So um, in here in the U.S., I'm really uh, known as an on-air television personality. I do lifestyle and entertainment programs on like the Today Show, Good Day New York, Insight Edition, which are all like the top best fun morning programs and, uh, you know, just programs here in the U.S. Um, and it is actually a career that I launched in my 40s after battling stage three cancer and feeling that I, you know, and just kind of being confronted with my own mortality. Um, so it's, uh, you know, a career that I launched later in life. I absolutely love it. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom. I kind of fell out of the sky and into this amazing career. Um, but there was a mindset shift that I'll talk about, you know, as we go go on that kind of, you know, cancer, you know, didn't just break me. It actually built me um, with some new wheels to kind of go for what I wanted. Um, you know, my, I was a stay-at-home mom. Prior to that, I was in direct sales. So um, it's just an interesting evolution that I love to share with people. Um, you know, your next chapter is always going to be better than the last one if you got the right mental game. So that's my story. I'm still, um, you know, I'm still plugging away and reinventing myself and just trying to live my best life. <laughs> Oh, I love it. And you're right, you know, that actually it isn't just one life we have. There are multiple lives, aren't there, actually? And every stage is amazing and, and can be wonderful. And I love the fact that you are so energetic. You've got this grand vision um, and you're absolutely killing it in so many areas. It's it's wonderful. It's so inspiring. So, so let's talk about the early years, if we can, Barbara, a little bit. Take us back to kind of 
where you grew up, family background and things like that. Because I know that, you know, that's also inspiring for people to hear as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I, uh, people, this is my fun family fact. I am a twin. I have a twin brother. I am four minutes older and in twin land, that's a really big deal. Um, and I also have younger twin brothers um, in our family. Uh, it runs in our family. My mother is a triplet. So it's not that big of a deal. The biggest deal was that I didn't have twins. I have three kids. Um, but also runs in our family as a condition known as fragile X, which is a genetically inherited form of neurological impairment. And it's a lot like Down syndrome. Um, you can now genetically test for it. But back then, we, you know, the 1970s, we didn't know. Um, and my so my younger brother. So there's a set of twin. I have a twin brother, Ben. And then the younger set is Michael and Stephen. My brother, Stephen, has fragile X. And um, from a very young age, I've just always known. I always knew that I would, you know, speak for we were very, very connected and I always took care of them. Well, somewhere in middle school, the wheels for the family kind of fell off and I always call it growing up Schwartz. So it's like, it's my maiden name and we were very well loved, but they took some risks. The Schwartzes took some risks and didn't work out. So at one point, all of us had to get separated. My dad had to move to California and live with his brother. And my mother had to move to East Windsor, New Jersey and live with her cousin. So the four of us had to get separated. And whatever form or fashion we, you know, we like three would be here, one would be there, two would be there, four would be there. We would all kind of get jockeyed around because we didn't want to like impose too much on our, you know, relatives. And in, you know, I spent a year, a, a year and change in California living with my dad. And at one point it was just Stephen and I, um, and we were always together, but I had decided I wanted to start high school in New Jersey and I got my aunt to buy us tickets. It had been a very, very rough year. Um, it just wasn't, you know, it was just, we, the money was tight. Um, you know, we had no, it was just a difficult time, but Stephen always went with me. So we're at LAX airport and Stephen is having a meltdown at epic proportion. I'm 13, 14 years old, and he's three years younger. And when I say he's having a meltdown, he doesn't care about other people looking at him or creating a scene that's not in his wheelhouse. And we get to the gate, and he is on the floor, and he won't get on the plane. Then they're boarding, and they're boarding. And my dad looks at me and says, Barbara, I'll, I'll keep Stephen. Stephen will stay in California with me. You have to get on the plane. High school had already started. Like, I was just floating around the, you know, ether, you know, like, not in high school, not in, registered in school. And I was like in a panic. I was like, I don't, Stephen goes with me. And my father was like, uh, I'm the father and Stephen goes with me. And I was like, no, Stephen goes with me. And the stewardess and the, they're boarding. They're like, we're, we're leaving. You guys need to, you, you need to board this plane. And I was in such, like, I was really panicked and I get on the floor and I just, you know, quietly whispered. I'm like, Stephen, you have got to come with your sister. You have to come with me. I can't leave you. And by the grace of God, he got up and actually took my hand, walked me on the plane. And I waved with like this backhanded wave, wave to my father, like, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And I got him on the plane. He completely passes out because he's exhausted. It's a red eye flight. It's a red eye flight. I'm young. I should have passed out and gone to sleep. But instead, I plotted my entire life. I plotted my life with such rage and love and intensity. And I was crying, but I was crying with such clarity and understanding of like, I will never not take care of you. I will not only take care of you. I will make sure you live a great life. I will figure out how to make money. I will never put you in this situation. Seeing him under such distress and then under like with the threat of us being separated really broke 
me through to this clarity. And I plotted my life at 13. I think I might've been 14. At 14 years old, I plotted my life. I knew I was going to put my, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I knew what I was going to do. And it's true that that vow that I made it at 14 led me past um, any sort of give up, quit, what have you at, throughout my life. I wanted to quit putting myself through college. And I thought I can't take care of Steven. I started a sales company when I was in my twenties and it all hinged on, I had to be financially, I had to make money because I, the thought of him being institutionalized or being in that state of distress ever again, I felt like I had that vow, like it wasn't always in the forefront of my mind, but it definitely sat in my soul. And it was like a, like a, a soul promise of like, I'm going to do it. And when I wanted to quit anything, I never quit because of him. And that's, um, I think that's, yeah, that's, that brings you up to my story. And I, you know, I can go deeper into all that, but that's really what drives me. I'm very aligned with purpose and it got me through uh, cancer at one point too. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We're going to talk about the, the cancer as well, but I mean, obviously it's such a, such a big event in your life and um, we will come to that, but where do you think this relationship with Stephen to have that closeness and all my, you know, that, that real bond, because you were four kids together you mm-hmm. wasn't your um your 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 twin. He was your younger brother. Where did that closeness come from? Do you think? So I it was very instinctual. I remember my parents bringing home this set of twins, Michael and Stephen, and I decided that they were my living dolls. And I literally there's pictures I'll send it to you of just me like I thought they were mine. And actually, there <laughs> was one I did. I was like, "Where these are mine? Thank you. Thanks for sharing." And I'll go ahead and take it from here. Six years old, yeah, or whatever, three at the time. But then when they so I do think that it hinged on one particular moment when. They were three and I was six and Stephen had started to suffer from some seizures and they had to do a tracheotomy and he lost his ability to speak. And he was gone at the hospital for like a month. And I just remember being like, somebody took away, one, took away my children. I don't know why. I just thought, I think that they're mine. I still do. And I still talk to them. I talk to them sometimes like they're like babies. They're like in their 40s. But anyway, um, you know, then my mother sat my twin brother and I down and she said, Stephen's coming home. And I was so excited as he'd been in the hospital. It was really scary. She goes, he won't be able to speak. And I remember being like, well, I'll speak for him. Just bring me home my, you know, my little toys. They're mine. They belong to me. And I I think those that kind of uh, those words are very profound because I do advocate so much for him. He can speak now, um, you know, um, but I did kind of say, like, don't I just bring him home. I will be his voice to the world. And truly, I really do live that life of, you know, giving a voice to not only Stephen, but anybody that's underserved, anybody that doesn't have a voice, I like seek to amplify it. I think it would, it's like, it's my purpose. Like, I just have a really big mouth. (laughs) So I might as well use it to help others advocate for themselves. I'm sometimes better at telling people stories than they are. So um, yeah, so I think it kind of stems from that. And I just think there's just a, there's like a soul connection with brothers. I don't know. My twin and I are different, but we're, I'm very close with all my brothers and my parents. We're, we're very close family. So. Yeah, that's great. It's so lovely to hear. But yeah, I mean, what a compelling purpose, you know, that, that you, you've clearly articulated there. And what strikes me, Barbara, is that you, you were absolutely, that clarity you had at such a young age, mm-hmm. it's just magnified now in terms of the impact and the support you want to give to a wider, much wider group of people that started with one, 
Stephen and your mm-hmm. family and then has just kind of become like this ripple effect for you, hasn't it? Which is incredible. It's so inspiring. Thank you. And what I more than anything, what I do feel is by sharing these stories, I hope it helps people frame some of the difficulties in their life. Like we, the, the Buddha says we're unified because there's suffering and the only emancipation from suffering is to serve others and to use some of the things that we've gone through to, you know, move us connected to our purpose, our role in humanity. Um, you know, I, some people would feel sorry for themselves, like, oh my God, that's so tragic. And they want to live in that narrative of tragedy and woe is me and kicking rocks and staying in the fetal position. And I did learn in my darkest days of chemo that I was given the greatest gift you can be given, which is purpose. And um, I really do help for people. I like, I hope through my story that people see that they have great gifts and great purpose and great value in this world. And sometimes it is, it's reframing the narrative of things that we've been through um, to help us connect with our high, like a higher calling and, a, and a, a servitude that is very rewarding. We feel like, I always say, I have a good story and I'll be quick about it because I talk a lot and I, um, the, where uh, the more you give, the more you get. And so I took my brother, Stephen to the boardwalk years ago and um, Stephen can't play those games at the boardwalk. And we went to a very a rougher part of New Jersey. It wasn't like the nicest, clean, you know, best boardwalk, but it was a boardwalk. We thought it would be fun. And as soon as we walked up and it's the end of the summer. So like, it, it's just, everyone's done. Like everyone's done. Nobody wants to be there. And everyone's kind of sitting behind the, the booths. Like, Oh, here they come another set of people. And there you can tell they've lost their attitude and rightfully so because it's a lot. Anyway, we walk up and right away they sense, oh, Stephen can't hold the ball and he can't throw the ball. Every time we went to different booths, the person came around and they were like, let me show him how to do that. Let me hold, let me show him how to hold the, the, the water gun. Let me show him how to throw the ball. Let me show him how this is done or the, the ring toss. And in that moment, I was like, wow, they think they're helping Stephen when it was really Stephen was helping them to see their value in the world because every exchange, and by the way, I'm getting chills telling this story, every single exchange, we left those booths with that person who was, you know, losing their mind, feeling better about themselves. They were like, thanks for coming in. And we were like, no, thank you. And they're like, no, thank you. And the exchange of helping and giving and that synergistic, like it's, I always say all ships rise in high tide. It's like everyone in that moment was elevated, but we're, but we understand it's like when we live in service, like these guys step, whoever it was, they came around and helped. They came around and used their gift that day to serve someone else that couldn't do it. And we made them in exchange feel valued and important and gifted in their own way. So it's this really higher level kind of like, wow, they thought they were helping Stephen, but it was it was mutual. We help them see that they're important and they have value and they know what they're doing. Um, so I just, I take so much out of that of like, understand that um, we all have, there. we just have to, sometimes change our narrative. And I hope like just with my attitude, like I just help others, like, uh, you know, listen, I keep plowing away. I got some good stories in here. Some of them are from late night podcasts as I am divorced, but what have you? We'll, yeah, I'll let you direct my crazy shit. Yeah, perfect. No, I, I totally agree with you though, Barbara. It's funny, isn't it? Because we've only met each other like virtually recently, but there are so many things that I share common, common views with you. And, and I really believe in the law of reciprocity. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not a case of giving to receive in an over way. But if you do good things and you're a good person, you put yourself out to the world and you try and help others, it will come back to you tenfold um, in, in, in that way that just is meant to be, really. And you're so right. You're so right. That's mm-hmm. a beautiful story. I can, I can actually picture you going to each of the booths and uh, mm-hmm. Gosh, made me feel made me feel like I was there with you. Gosh, mm-hmm. fantastic! So, so Barbara, you mentioned about the chemo. So let's let's take go back to I think it was two thousand and fifteen, wasn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. You, you were diagnosed. So, do you want to just talk us through that period, if you're okay? Because it's it's such a, a key milestone oh, yeah. in your life, isn't it? Well, yes, and it was um, so in twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen is a big year because I had gotten like a humanitarian award, and I had hosted a Holocaust survivor event in my community, and so I had these really high highs, only to be followed by some serious lows. Um, that summer, twenty fifteen, um, I my marriage ended, and I was completely blindsided. Um, it really, I was not. I had no, I was, I don't know. It just came out of left field. Um, he, let's just say he didn't want to be married to me anymore. And, um, what have you, we'll leave it there. And, um, we'll say I caught him not wanting to be married to me anymore. <laughs> and that's a whole nother deep dive. You'll yeah. pick up putting down and, um, months. So that was July. And then in November I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. So I remember them telling me and I'm going, I I can't actually have cancer right now because my husband doesn't want to be married to me. And I have three young kids. My kids were, uh, God, uh, maybe four, 10 and 12, four, 10 and 12, or they were all turning four, 10 and 12. And, um, I like couldn't even handle, I was like, I cannot, even my friends were like, Oh, like, you know, like the friends that knew, like, I was so sad over my marriage. And then I don't get like, just diagnosed with like, oh, like, here's, you know, a a stage where you get, you know, surgery, it was like, oh, here's a stage three, it's in your lymph nodes, and it perforated the intestinal wall. So you're gonna have chemo. And my friends, we were all like, oh, like, ooh, that one's gonna, ooh, not a good time. Babs is having a tough time, tough year. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, so I had to have surgery and then six months of chemo. And I was like, you know what? I got this. Other people have survived this. I can do this. And then chemo hit. And I was like, damn, this is no joke. And I'm a pretty hardy girl. I ran the New York city marathon twice. My friends have you know, rung my doorbell and be like, let's do a triathlon tomorrow. And I've shown up and I've done it. Like I just do, I'm, I consider myself a hardy girl. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm a, I don't know. That's who I am. Chemo took the wind out of my sails. I couldn't drive because I couldn't concentrate long enough. I was struggling to put thoughts together. I had major chemo brain. I was losing, um, I had major neuropathy in my hands and feet. And even in my, I had this ear tingling, like all these odd things. And I had a particularly really difficult infusion. And then with infusions, like you do it, you're miserable. And then you get, you, you rally back up and you get another one. And this particularly difficult one, all of a sudden the next infusion was coming up. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. I like literally was like, I don't think I can do this. And I was just on the bathroom floor and just in the fetal position going, I can't believe this is where my story ends. I can't believe I'm at 42 years old, three young kids, how am I going to be remembered? And I really went through like, wow, like I was really proud of myself through putting myself through college and starting this sales company and then taking over as my brother's legal guardian and um, really living out that vow. And then 
extrapolating that out, I got a humanitarian award for my work speaking for um, underserved children in and doing humanitarian work. So I kind of reflected on all this and I was like, wow, thank God I was taking care of Steven. And in that moment, I, I was like, oh my God, it was never me again, taking care of Steven. It was Steven taking care of me. Like it was never me taking care of him. He took care of me. He gave me rise to my greatest gift. He gave me the gift of purpose. He gave me no quit. I wanted to quit everything. I hated putting myself through college. I worked all the time. And then I'd write $7,000 checks to a university, which I half-assed. I was like, I would really like to buy myself something instead of, you know, I rode a bike and like, I was like, I really want to buy myself a car, you know, instead I'm writing to buy dumbass textbook that I literally shuffled from A to B and never opened, but oh, I was a terrible student. Okay. We won't go there. And, but I should have quit. And then I started this crazy sales company in my twenties. Everyone else quit. Everyone told me it was a scam. Everyone told me it was crazy. And I thought, you know what, through this like network marketing, I can make my own bones. I'm going to outwork everyone. And if I do, I can make my own money. Like there's no scam involved. It was like, sell and get paid. And I'm like, I'll outsell, I'll outwork anyone if it is about like being compensated. I, okay. So you work harder, you make more money. I was like, I got that. Like that works for somebody like me that really wanted to be, um, you know, financially, um, independent at a very high obnoxious level. So, um, but I should have quit. I should have quit. And I was like, if I quit, I can't take care of Steven. So when I recognized that, because of him, I had no quit and I could persevere through really difficult times. I made a, a vow to the universe. I'm like, I got it. I was like, I got it. I got it. Big guy, like big girl, big universe. I got it. I got, I got what you were trying to, I'm picking up what you're putting down. It took me a little long. I'm in my forties, but if you give me another shot, I'll go big and I'll no longer let the voices of self-doubt and fear and the weight of other people's opinions hold me back. I will no longer play small. I mean, just get me the F out of chemo. Get me out of chemo. This is not, I do not like this. This isn't working for me. Chemo and I, we aren't, we aren't gifted together. It's not a good relationship. And, you know, sure enough, I got to the other side and that's what launched my kind of like, it. you know, there's always, I always say this, it's only in the darkness that you can see the stars. And it was in my darkest moment that I had the utmost clarity for the second time in my life. Those are two vows that I've made. One when I was 14, one when I was 42. And, you know, I just had that utmost clarity and breakthrough. You know, it wasn't a breakdown. It was a breakthrough. I was like, I oh, got it. Just give me another shot. I will no longer play small. And I am a woman of my word. And when I got to the other side, I was like, well, I guess I'll go for TV because that's a damn big stage. And um, that's where, how I ended up on TV. I no longer could really serve those voices of negativity and self-doubt. I made a vow. And I am, again, a woman of my word. And that's a decision, not a condition that people can take on to themselves. You can say that to yourself. I'm a woman of my word. I'm going to follow through it. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Um, it's a great kind of mantra because it's really something we can embody. Um and I went for it. I mean, I'm definitely like, like I, I decided I'd rather make an ass out of myself and fail trying than, you know, not people are going to judge you anyway. You know, like I was like, Oh, I'm so scared. People are going to like judge me. And I'm going to make an ass out of myself. And who do I think I am? I'm 42. What swipe left? All those bullshit voices swipe left. They're not serving you. They're not building you. They're doing nothing for you, but they are there. Anybody tells you that, oh, just blah, 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 all that yeah, 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 yeah bullshit. You are going to, you're going to suffer with self-doubt. It's the human condition. Fear is the human condition. It saves us from walking into oncoming traffic. How we navigate it 
And you know what? I have to become a different person. I, you and me on Clubhouse all the time and go, come on, Babs, step up, get into the game, Babs. Like that's me telling my true self, like the other version of me. Barbara's insecure. Barbara's got all the neck. Bar- Sometimes I got to step out of Barbara and go into Babs. And I'm like, Babs, let's go play ball. Put your jersey on. Time for you to get in, get your cleats on, tighten up and get in the game and let's play ball. And that's a choice. Um, so when I made that, that I live that, um, listen, I live with Barbara and I live with Babs. We're one in the same. Um, but when it comes to like living out my purpose, sometimes I got to put Babs aside and not Babs. Babs is a badass bitch, but, um, Barbara needs to, needs to take a knee because Babs is in, Babs is in the game now. I sound like I have multiple personalities. I really don't. I just have one giant personality. <laughs> yeah, but you, there's so much value in what you're talking about. So I'm, I'm now confused when I call you Barbara or Babs now. <laughs> now you call it, it, it's like, Babs is just this like internal dialogue that you'll hear me kind of, they're like, well, sure, is she Babs? And I'm not... <laughs> And when friends are, you know, playing with me, most people call me Barb, actually. I, I'm really known as Barb. I just feel like, so, I don't know. I, I just, people have called me a lot worse than Barb, Barbara, or Bab. So like, let's just be, let's be honest here. You can call me whatever you want. Um, but yeah, so uh, I answer to it all. And when, you know, people are joking around, come on, Babs, let's get it. You know, it just, it cracks me up. I answer to anything and everybody knows it. And um Yeah. So that's my story. I hope that, I hope that sits with somebody, you know, and so many like celebrities and power people do have that like Mamba, you know, Kobe Bryant, like he, you know, when he stepped out onto the court, he had to be that person. And like, you leave, you leave that other, leave those negative voices on the bench, you know, or leave them somewhere else. They're part of your condition and they're not bad. They serve to help us and make us help us make good choices. But sometimes they hold us back when we need to put the Jersey on and get serious and put our head down and get in the game. So. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm gonna go for Barb. Actually, I've decided. <laughs> okay, fine. That's cool with me. That's cool with me. No, but you're you're so right because I think what's it really encouraging to hear when with when I do podcasts like this. The podcast is brave, bold, brilliant, right? So it's about pushing out of your comfort zone facing the fear and doing it anyway, all of these good things. And you embody all of this. But what I think when people listen to a story like yours, it makes them realize that actually every single person has these inner gremlins, these limited self-beliefs, and you just have to say, can you actually shut up <laughs> yeah 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 and and actually i am going to choose a different course of action mm-hmm. what my gremlin voice is saying i should do and uh, i think that whole analogy of yeah actually come on now let's get in state put my big girl pants on and mm-hmm. get on with it <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's so it's so liberating because i think the thing is what i see very often um I mentor a lot of people, um, Barbara, one, you know, one-to-one mentoring. And very often, a lot of people, they never live their true dreams. They don't fulfill their potential because the fear stops them. Fear of judgment, fear of failure, fear of all sorts of stuff. And actually, what you've just described, your approach to how to, to tackle cancer, how to start a new career, is all about absolutely not accepting where you are and say, no, I choose. I'm in control here. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that. So I've got a question for you. With the um, choice, your choice of weapon being TV in at that stage of your career, why TV? What was it that kind of made you think, yeah, actually, that's the, that's the route for me? 
So I read The Secret in um, 2015, and it's all about law of attraction, manifestation. And I wrote down that I want to be on the Today Show. And because I, which is the big, 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 uh, most iconic program here in the United States. And I remember, because when you read the, these kind of books and you feed your brain, um, and by the way, I met Oprah, like I, I'm like just a big thinker. And I wrote down the Today Show. I was a stay-at-home mom. I had two babies. Uh, but that's the law of attraction. Like you have to put it out in the universe. And I wrote it down. I was like, who do I think I am? And like, how does that happen? And whatever, but it kind of shelved it. And I think that for me, the Today Show was always like the gold standard of television. And it's what I wanted. And, you know, I was, I, I listen, I think karmically, um, Oh, God, karmically, I think the universe kind of conspired in my favor at that point. I um, made just a commitment to like, hi I hired a media trainer and I started moving the feet in that direction. And that's all New York. So I live in New Jersey and um, I just started moving, kind of gravitating towards like when I'm not with the kids, let's get into New York, let's get in the game. Um, so yeah, to me, TV and listen, I'm a child of the, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties television before the internet came to play was the gold standard. Like there was nothing like Katie Couric and Matt Lauer. That was like, I like the, and the plaza. Um, and when you go and you like, you're confronted with your own mortality and then you get another shot, you're like, well, why the hell not me? Like, why, why not me? You know, I stopped those voices of I didn't go to the best university. I was terrible in school. All these little metrics that I had kind of like piled up to kind of um, negative self-talk me out of why I couldn't. And then I just changed the code of like, you know, why not me? I can connect with more audiences because I do suck at school. And, but I, and my childhood wasn't, you know, perfect, but you know, like, you know, listen, I had a unibrow until like I was 18 years old and I just didn't know what to do with it. It was just what, like, like, but anyway, I had to work a lot of my, my personality because nobody wanted to date me and what have you. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, again, out of like, you know, uh, difficult, difficult things, rise, good things too. I don't even know where I'm going with the unibrow, but anywho, um, yeah, TV was, is just the gold standard and continues to still be, except now, um, you know, the internet, YouTube, uh, clubhouse podcasting are all newer channels, but because I'm a child of the, you know, seventies, eighties, I'm still like, Oh, I like TV. <laughs> so I like to yeah. do it all. I'm a, I'm a, I'll do it all. We'll see what I, I like to yeah, yeah, and I love that. I love that that you you just put it out to the universe, and and I agree with you. You know, if you if you're clear on what you want, you believe in yourself, and you can manage to have the right internal dialogue. And quite frankly, you take action. You get off your backside, and you do what, even if it's a small step each day that's moving you closer towards what you want. Then I I believe everyone can achieve their dreams. 100%. Oh, I agree. I think something is better than nothing. And you know, something we also have to develop a kind of um, you know, resilience and a, like a, a thickness to our, um, to those muscles, uh, the, um, the resilient muscle. Resilience is a muscle. It needs to be conditioned and it needs to be built up. And if we're too weak, when somebody kind of nudges us, we're going to topple over and we're going to have a meltdown and we're going to want to quit. But, you know, I get, you know, sometimes I do get nasty grams and I get, you know, people, you know, not agreeing with me on different platforms on every platform. Somebody has like something negative to say, and I had an incident actually on clubhouse. Um, and, but it, you know, it's all part of like building me to be a little bit stronger. Like, I don't like it when people come at me, nobody does, 
we want to like, I don't want people to come at me and tell me my segment stinks. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm funny looking because I have two different color eyes or something like that. I do. I have two different, one of my eyes, two different colors. Um, but you know, I just keep moving the feet forward. I think my alignment with purpose and also I do want to inspire other people to get out of their own way. So I'm always like, all right, well, that's, I get, I'm getting sometimes jockeyed around because I have to be resilient and I have to show other people how to be resilient and live in their truth. Um, but it is part of like, uh, Michael Jordan says it well, he said something along the lines of you have to also imagine yourself missing the three point shot, the winning three point shot in a game, because it's just as it's, you are going to miss it. You are, it is part of, but if you see yourself hitting that three point shot and winning the game, you have to understand that there'll be times that you're not going to hit it but you got to be able to bounce back and you got to be able to get, keep moving the feet forward and, you know, resilience and perseverance and tenacity. Those are celebrated more than anything else. The comeback, like it's empowering. Courage is contagious. And by you being courageous, you inspire somebody else. And when I can say, yeah, oh, I got an Instagram and this is how I dealt with it. And somebody said this about me and some of the, and how I handled it. My, my ability to pull somebody else out of that, that, oh, I'm really doubting whether I want to keep going forward. That really stung. And I'm like over on the other side going, no, 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 no. You, this is part of it. You got to build these muscles. You go to the gym, you break down the muscles. So they get, get bigger. Someone just served you an opportunity to grow. They didn't break you again. They're building you. So, um, you know, there's a lot in there. Um, I don't even remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why it's lovely to just have a chat. But I think we're, we're talking about failure, aren't we? An approach to failure and resilience and bouncing back. And I think it's a really interesting cultural dynamic here as well, Barb, actually, because I think in the U.S., um, failure, I don't like the word actually myself, but let's say things don't always work out. I think there's a much more of an, a, an appreciation and celebration of that in the US than there is in the UK, for sure. Um, and I see sort of the British culture is much more around almost sometimes people actually wanting you to fail and, and seeing you fail. You know, they get a kind of kick because it makes themselves feel better if you yeah. say someone else is having a tough time. Whereas what I see in the US, and I've got lots of friends over there as well, it's much more, it's almost like, oh, well, your business has just failed. Oh, good on you. You're going to learn when you start in the next one. It's much more of a, a, a sort of a cultural attitude, which is a much more, I think, a more positive approach to dealing with that adversity. Um, so I do, I, I, I think the cultural aspect is, is really. And I could, I can completely understand because, you know, um, you're a classier culture. <laughs> you, you just. You do. You're, it's just, a, you know, every time I think of, you know, um, the British culture, it's just it's like classy and elegant and prideful and beautiful. And, um, you know, we're a little more sloppy and like toughen up and what, what have you. But we do. Americans like to see people fail, too. It's a lot more fun to talk about. Um, it just, it's kind of cultural connectedness of like, yeah, people are, I know that I've given people a lot to talk about, whether it was my marriage or being on television or, or what have you. Um, but I think it's just navigating it. I, I don't know, you know, we're going to have to like dive into that cultural difference and I'm coming over to the, to, to London first, um, or, or, uh, the UK. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really interesting. I don't, you know, I think everyone, uh, 
does like a comeback story, I hope, you know? Um, and I don't believe I have failed in anything. I don't even think my marriage was a failure. I just don't identify people like, what did you fail at? And I was like, I don't know. Cause I think a failure is when you don't learn, you know, I learned what was, I was no longer going to accept in the rest of my life. Like I got a second shot and I learned, I was like, I'm not going to accept that. And that's not what I want. And that's not what I want to model with my children. And I'm going to make decisions to, to live a really great, happy, content life. And so I have, I don't identify with failure and have I made mistakes? Oh God, Lord, I made a mistake on clubhouse the other day. Oh Lord, have mercy. And this woman came at me and I apologized. And I like, I kind of jumped in when I, I don't know. I don't know that I did anything wrong. I made was her perception. We could debate it all day long, but you know, at the end of the day, she caused a lot of problems and like stunk up another room, whatever. Um, but you were going to make mistakes, but I learned from it too. I was like, you know, I can navigate better. I can navigate better. And then I can teach other people how to navigate better. So there wasn't a mistake there. It was just, you know, me living the human experience and being a schmuck every once in a while. Like you want to come at me because I'm a schmuck. I said it in a public place. I said, if you want to come at me, you come at me in private. You don't come here on a stage and embarrass yourself because the way that you speak about others is more of a reflection on you than it is of me. And I'm willing to address if I make mistakes because I am human, um, but I'm never willing to sit here and pretend I'm an MMA fighter. Um, you know, and people shouldn't do that. They shouldn't really air their grievances on a public stage and squander people's time. But I did learn. And I thought I taught in that moment too, by saying you build in public, break in private, you can come at me in the DMS, but do not squander people's time. Um, it's a valuable commodity and it's disrespectful. So I really kind of came at her in a very passive aggressive, like mama don't play. I will, you know, I'm, I'm mama playing the long game and I'm, you know, I'm, I am, I'm playing the long game. I'm like, yeah, that was a mistake maybe, but the bigger mistake was you, how you handled it, not me. So anyway, yeah. no, no yeah. mistake. Dabs is mistake free. She's just failing forward. <laughs> fail forward, <laughs> fail fast. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Let's talk about Clubhouse actually a little bit, Barb, because yeah. it's, it's the new, newish, shall we say, um, hot social media platform. Still, still in its infancy, still in beta testing. And both you and I, that's how we came together. So that's a, a fabulous example of it working really well. And I'm loving the engagement and I feel it's a real leveling platform actually and and mm -hmm. people from all backgrounds and levels in their lives everyone is kind of got a voice really because it and it's audio only so you don't have the I suppose people judging you by how you look in the same way it's all about the quality of what comes out of your mouth so yeah uh -huh. uh, which, which I really like but talk about Clubhouse and kind of how your plans are to embrace that as a channel how you're trying to build your personal brand or continue to build your personal brand through that and kind of what the goal is really with the whole bearing it all, um, you know, aspect that you have to the podcast and clubhouse and everything you've got going on. Oh, I love this question because I'm a huge <laughs> fan of clubhouse and I've been saying Instagram, you were able to see me television. You were able to hear me clubhouse. You get to know me and it's synergistic because I also get to know other people and there's no filter on clubhouse. So, you know, those who are able to, you know, connect and communicate and articulate themselves. You can learn and you can also add value. So it's, a, it, for me, it is a space that I think I've been waiting for. Um, and I'm sure you feel the same way. So for me, I'm really going all in with clubhouse. I I'm playing the long game in there. We are in the beta phase. I have a 
podcast called Bearing It All, which is all, and but I'm taking that name and I'm opening a club on Clubhouse. And the Bearing It All name in and of itself, it's all about transparency, authenticity, and value. Like I want to, I just want to host rooms that are really engaging and smart and thoughtful so that the audience members not only can participate, but they're going to take things away. I, I really do believe time is a valuable, the most valuable commodity. And I do not want to play a hand in squandering it. I really want people to not only be entertained and inspired, but also to be educated, to like have real tangible takeaways. And the impetus for the bearing it all name was prior to 2015, when the wheels fell off for me, I was nothing but a load of bullshit. I was the one putting pictures on Instagram saying happy life and la la la. Like, look at my, look at my vacations and my gorgeous husband and my perfect job. And I really just, I was an inauthentic version of myself. And when my marriage ended and I got diagnosed with cancer. I no longer had the bandwidth to withhold, to, to sustain this version of myself. I all of a sudden, like, it just kind of broke me out of like, I just, the only person I can be is me. And it felt so good to be more raw and transparent and to, all, to now not have to play a hand. Like, pretty pictures are important and, and beauty and all of it. We, we identify, we aspire for it. It's inspiring, it's aspirational. But the bearing it all is all about the grit behind the glamour. Like, how did you get that? How do you, how do people, you know, get to that level of success? How do people get to this? How do conversations of like, I want that. How did they get there? Like realistic conversations. Like if you aspire for a healthier lifestyle, let's peel back the curtain and let's talk about how your, you know, how your boobs aren't on your ankles. Let's talk about it. Okay, let's talk about it. Or let's talk about, you know, let's not just talk about health and wealth. Let's talk about, I want it all. I don't want, you know, I really get annoyed when celebrities say, like, I just naturally have great genetics. Really? You had seven kids and you got a flat stomach. Like, mm, mm, like really, let's talk about the mommy makeovers. Um, I really want to be part of real conversations. It doesn't mean that everyone has to be like me, the queen of oversharing. But if I can help somebody else kind of navigate feeling better about themselves, implementing um, things for their business, their personal life, um, family life, whatever, because I'm like, yeah, this is what I do behind the scenes. I order takeout seven, 77 times a day or whatever, you know, or this is how I manage 24 hours in a day. And this is my true morning routine. And it's not like me meditating and communing with Jesus. It's not, I don't do that. I mean, other people do that. I don't do that, but you know, maybe I can give somebody a free pass if that's not their morning routine. I'm all over the place. And anyway, the bearing, my bearing it all is all about transparency, authenticity, value. I'm going to blow up that club. It's going to be, you know, I'm bringing on team members to be part of it. I'm going to, it's going to have retreats and summits where we really get together and I'm going to curate an amazing team of professionals where we not only work on like how to, you know, how to amplify our personal brand, our business brand, but also talking about family life, work-life dynamics, self-care, uh, you know, like all the things, you know, all the things, time management and executive function, which I suck at. I like, and I really do want to put, pull together a, um, a community of like-minded individuals that are looking to improve their station in life, whether that is in their personal life, their professional life, their spiritual life, um, bring a community together and really just be transformative because we are, um, transparent 
you know? Yeah. So yeah, so I'm gonna, uh, Clubhouse is my jam. I'm putting all, not all eggs in that basket because I do like my television, but I'm putting a lot of eggs in that basket and I'm going full board and I'm taking people with me. Because once I crack the code on how to monetize, um, Clubhouse, this is where I'm really, really good. Where my secret sauce actually lies and how I made money and I, you know, keep a roof, a really pretty roof over hand is once I crack the code on how to really monetize and make money, I'm going to teach other people. So I'm trying to build this club of people that are like, this is where I want to be. And how can I do this full time and make money? And when I crack that code, I will teach other people. Um, and it'll all be with the bearing it all, um, you know, organization. So I'm going to blow it up. That's all. I'll probably have a hat next time. It's barren at all. I don't have it. <laughs> I love it. And you know what? Because what I really like about this whole concept is that it's it, so it's broad enough that it appeals to a whole range of people, right? Mm -hmm. Because through my corporate career, I was nearly always the only woman in the boardroom with a, with a full profit and loss account running, you know, half a billion turnover businesses. It was always you know, male, pale, stale kind of guys mainly. And then I'd be like the only woman, you know, token, token woman. And um, actually when in my earlier career, there are times when, you know, I thought I had to behave in a certain way in order to be accepted. And of course, as you get older, you realize you just got to be yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're really smart. You're really good at what you do. So just do it in a way that's authentic um, and you don't have to fit into a mold. And I think the whole concept you have there, Barb, of bearing it all is absolutely right because it's a safe place to talk about what's real um, and yeah. not just what's portrayed on, on, you know, on TV or on social media. But what I really like about it is I love the contradiction between TV, mm -hmm. all of the image that you know you you need to fit into with a, being a top TV personality like you are, with the bearing it all. So I love this juxtaposition for you. I mm -hmm. think it's really cool. I like that. Thank you. I appreciate it because listen, I am all about going on TV. I have major glam squad. I mean, it takes a village to pull all this together on television. And I do very cool curated segments that, but it is, I love the, I love doing the behind the scenes, what it's all about, the mental game behind it. And even, even all. So thanks. I love, it's the grit behind the glamour because we do like glamour. Like we do like glamour. I don't know. I, we, we feel good when we look good and, uh, sound good and we're our best I don't know it's there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with fake eyelashes they make me a better person okay um can I put them on by myself no I cannot but yeah the the grit behind it is what I think is fun and funny and fabulous and much more aligning with um you know with with humanity and my connectedness with people of like oh yeah she's kind of a hot mess sometimes I'm like yeah yeah <laughs> What, yeah, yeah. Was your first, what was your first lucky break on TV? What my you... first, I landed right on the Today Show. I literally landed, my first booking was on the Today Show. I, my, my agent, um, so I hired a, a media trainer and I had stalked her on Instagram. So listen, I am not, you know, listen, social media and all of that is kind of a new way to connect. You know, we didn't do that. We answered ads in newspapers and we, you didn't call somebody off the internet or, Instagram, I should say, you didn't call somebody off Instagram and like, Hey, I stalk you on Instagram. Like I had to write her name down 150 times before I actually called her. And, um, I finally called her. And I was like, I found you on Instagram. And I just kind of like, I was like, I feel so silly, but that's what it is today. And they, you know, Instagram is a calling card. I just didn't know it at the time. It took me six weeks to call her. 
And um, she basically trains people and the ones she likes, she books because she's been in television for 30 years. So yeah, that was my first big break. I went from zero to hero in a hot minute. I mean, I was like, I remember like right before I was like, who do I think I am? And then Bab stepped in. This is who you are. You are right where you need to be. That's exactly what I said. I had Barbara tried to get in there and Babs was like, oh, bitch, come on, come (laughs) on. This is what you're meant to do. (laughs) Excellent. I love it. I love it. So, Barbara, can you think of a bad piece of advice that you've ever been given that I've taken and wished you hadn't or it was so bad you ignored it anyway? Um, I'm so grateful. I ignored this piece of advice when I was in my twenties and I started going door to door, business to business, cold call sales, working on straight commission for a startup company that looked like the, like literally the shadiest thing on the planet. And everybody told me it was a scam. It was a pyramid scheme and I should quit. I went with my gut and I was like, there's nothing scammy about this. Like, I was like, no, we go door to door. We sell something for AT&T because the phones have been deregulated. If we sell, we get paid and AT&T gets a new customer or with residuals. All of it made sense to me. And because it looked so actually shady and it was so, it was such a startup and there we were like capped and everything. I didn't see it as a negative. I saw it as like, wait, there's a lot of opportunity here because this is kind of a crime scene here. Like I could really do this and actually make it better. So instead of seeing it as a negative, I saw it as an opportunity. And because I had that instinct, um, which I again have on Clubhouse, I'm like, oh, Clubhouse is my second time in this lifetime being like, I'm in the right place at the right time. And I'm in the startup and I am going all in. Everyone told me to quit. I didn't take the advice. It was very hard because people were quitting around me and people that I really respected told me, this is the advice I got. Get a real job, work nine to five and get health insurance and benefits and go work for the man. And that was the worst advice I was ever given and didn't take So That's my answer to that question. Excellent. I love it. I love it. And can you think of the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, the best piece of advice I was ever given was give, was given to, by my friend Amy Burdell and, and at the shore, the the shore. There's my Jersey, the the, Jer- the Jersey Beach, and um, she. I was going through, you know, figuring out whether my marriage was viable, and I was really sad, like. Just, I was like, oh my God, I can't, I was really just sad. And I think, you know, I I just was sad. And she said to me, the only way out is through. And I know that's a very cliche and it's been said a thousand times, but the way she said it and when she said it always hits me because sometimes we are in those dark moments of like, and she really, it really, and I had actually, I don't know that I'd heard it or I'd heard it before in just context that didn't sit with me in that moment. I was like, I just have to get through this and tough times don't last, but tough people do. And it allowed me to keep moving the feet forward of like, I won't always be this sad. Cause she was like, you won't always be this sad. It won't always be this hard. And just knowing that I was just in the suck and it wasn't forever. And that kind of mantra of like, um, this too shall pass. But she had said what she just had said was the only way out was is through and nothing else spoke to me like that. So that was really in the time, very powerful and um, something I had to really sit on for a very, I was in the suck for a very long time. My divorce was hideous and I was sad, but now I'm not sad. And now I'm divorced and happy pants. I'm happy pants. Mr. <laughs> 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 lucky pants. I haven't found him yet. Anyway, so that's how I do so any Mr. Lucky Pants who are listening and want to apply. <laughs> we'll cross pond. We'll cross yes. pond. 
We'll cross pond and we'll, we'll do pond. for an interview process. <laughs> I love it. And, and Bob, you know, I mean, you've had highs, you've had lows, you've had things that have gone well, things that you do differently, but all with this sort of real spirit of actually I can get through this and there's more for me. There's more. I'm meant to do more and have a bigger impact on this world. So, if someone now was in a quite a dark place themselves, maybe, you know, it could be either personal or career or business or whatever, but they're just not doing so well. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them how to kind of get out of that, that terrible situation? I always say, take a beat, take a knee, take a beat, take a pause. And it's okay to be in the suck. It is okay to kick some rocks and you but you can't stay there. You can't stay on the bathroom floor in the fetal position, feeling sorry for yourself for long. You get your time and you deserve your time because life is going to kick you and beat you down. Sometimes you deserve it. Don't be ashamed, sit in it, but don't stay in it. And sometimes when you're in that, do something for someone else, go be kind, go just do a random act of kindness. It's that law of the, um, uh, um, the law of inertia, like movement, you know, good things beget good things. So if you are really in a shit place, sorry, if I'm cursing, I was only one, I only cursed once, maybe join. Um, <laughs> if you're really in that bad place, sometimes all you need to do to start moving yourself out of that is actually do something really kind for somebody else. I don't know what that means to anybody. And I feel very compelled to say it, but I know that it has changed my brain chemistry when I'm like, let me just let you know. Let me just take something to somebody in need. Let me drop this off at a shelter. Let me figure. Let me go make some cookies for my kids today, or something like uplifting and spiritual. So yes, it's okay. Like I, I've been there, um, and I understand. And I never say things like, "Oh, don't worry about it." And the uh, it's like, ooh, you know, it's okay to say to your friend, like, "Ooh, yeah, that one's." That one's tough. You don't always need these cliches of like, you know, you'll get, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to be like, you know, this is, I'm sorry, you're going through this. And that sometimes is all you need. Like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. This sucks. Like, you know, when I was going through my divorce, people would say some of the most bizarre things. I'm like, I just need somebody to say, like, I glad I'm not you (laughs) to say like, that really sucks. Yes, it does. (laughs) Um, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. You know, decisions, uh, you know, how you handle things is on you, you know, conditions versus decisions determine your destiny. And I'm not always like, but listen, I take a knee all the time. I got an email was when I was in the middle of this pandemic and trying to shift gears like all of us and uh, a divorce, a pandemic. I was trapped in my uh, marital house with my ex-husband because we weren't divorced yet through the pandemic, the early part of the pandemic. And it was really very challenging, toxic to say the least. And I got the nastiest email of my life that I cannot wait to publish in my book because it is so mean and it cuts. It was stop embarrassing yourself. Who do you think you are? This second act silliness. They said my second act silliness. When I say they cut, they cut right to like, I'm, I'm sitting there going, do you know how much, you know much balls it takes for me to do what I'm doing? Like, and you just called me silly. I don't have to work anymore, but I have work to do. And somebody cut me. The the email went on and on. It was so, oh, wait, it started off by saying, are your friends don't have the heart to tell you. So I'm doing this on behalf of all your friends. 
It was so bad. It was so bad. Oh my God. I couldn't. And I was right about ready to do a yoga class at Zoom yoga. And I was like, oh, mama, need, mama needs a minute. Mama needs a minute. Um, but again, now I can, I kept going. And although I needed a few days because I didn't know who this person was and they were a coward. But now I get to kind of like use it in a, a, a bigger story of like, this is, you know, this is who this came from. This came from a coward. Um, this came from somebody hurt people, hurt people. Um, and this came from somebody that had no idea what I was dealing with. And it's so important. And that there's one last lesson and then I'll stop. You never know what somebody's dealing with. Like you be careful when you sit there and judge and hurt and do that. And, and clubhouse, it's a good example. The woman who came at me, I just keep thinking, I'm like, we have no idea what she's battling behind the scenes. And she, she came at me hard and, and like really kind of took it to the big stage. But I, in my mind, I'm like, I think there's a mental health issue and I never want to be part of you know, setting her over the edge because somebody in a stable mental place would never do what she did. Um, somebody of stable ground would take it offline and be like, I was really offended by this and take, you know, Hey, listen, and then it could be resolved in a, or not resolved. I don't know. You know, I don't know how people resolve things. Um, but I always think of, cause that woman came at me when I was dealing not only with um, a pandemic, three kids being homeschooled at my middle, my middle son is battling a new medical diagnosis. And I mean, I was bat and like a myriad. It was insane. And then I'm trying to do a yoga class because I'm trying to keep my shit together because I'm about, I'm single and I'm like trying to keep my cute on. And there's somebody that's like, you're being silly. And I just, I can't wait to use it and say, when you sent this, I was at one of the lowest points in my life trying to raise three kids and battling a medical diagnosis, a, a scary medical diagnosis, a real medical diagnosis of, for my child. And I'm trying to still maintain a business and you just tore me a new one. So I get to use it to help others and I will use it. And um, I hope that person feels good about themselves because they are actually, I just kept going. They didn't let me down. I didn't stop. I'm going to keep embarrassing myself. <laughs> I'm going to embarrass myself all the way to the bank again. You know? Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 I love it. When you put yourself out there, yeah, people are going to judge you anyway, right? So, you, you know, yeah. you, it, 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 when you get things like that happen, it always is more about the other person. Than oh, that. and the fact that 100%. I'm going to use this, like if you, oh, I just hope somebody's hearing this, you will be able to use all the rocks thrown at you at some point. In the moment, that rock being slung at you hurts like nothing else. But eventually you just gather these rocks and you're going to build a castle with it. Like that email is, and when you, when anybody reads it, everyone who reads it, they're like, oh, and I'm always like, I know, um, but here I am, I just keep moving the feet forward. And now I'm like, I, you know, comes at me too. So yeah, um, those rocks are going to build me a damn good house. And I hope you, make <laughs> it you good think my house you. is right now come, you know, <laughs> listen, you just gave me some fuel for my private plane. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, that's great. I don't have a private plane, by the way, uh, fans. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. It's not yet. Not I'm putting yet. it in the universe. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. It's out. It's out there. You heard it first here on Brave Bold Brilliant. So you know when I when I when you pick me up in the private plane, bar yes. we head off somewhere super glamorous. We'll remember this moment, right? <laughs> yes. Super. <laughs> let's go to Saint Tropez. I've never been. Um, or Ibiza. I've never been to Ibiza. Maybe my husband's in Ibiza. I don't know. Um, 
I'll show you Europe. I'll show you Europe. <laughs> uh, maybe there's a nice Italian man out there for me. Oh, I'm man. sure there is. I'm sure there is somewhere. Mr. Lucky Pants, where are you? <laughs> Mr. Lucky Pants apply here. So, <laughs> so on that on that note then, Bob, where can people find you apart from all over social media and Clubhouse? So on Instagram, it's Barbara Majeski and um, my website's barbaramajeski.com and barbaramajeski.club where I'm getting emails if they want to know about the rooms that I'm running, the podcast that I'm hoping, the television that I do, um, and also the summit and retreat that is going to be really fabulous. I don't know when it is or what, but I'm gathering it all now, putting it all together. And if they want to train on Clubhouse, I'll be doing some training on that too. So yeah. Barbara Majeski all over the place. Just Google me. You'll find me. Perfect. Perfect. So I've got one last question for you, Bob, if that's okay, before we close up. Mm -hmm. What does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you? Brave, bold, brilliant to me means just being your true authentic self and no longer putting on veneers and, you know, feeling good about you. Like, I just think just being, you know, um, you were meant to be different. Why be a copy? You know, be yourself. Everybody else has taken those kind of quotes. It took me until my 40s to really come to terms to step into my own shoes. I was trying on everybody else's shoes and trying to be contort myself to be this wife that I thought my husband wanted to be and who society thought I should be. And it all failed. And I was white knuckling my life until my 40s, until I was confronted with my own mortality. I hope through my stories and my rooms and everything else that I help other people get out of their own way, step into their light a lot sooner than their forties. And even if it's in their forties or in their sixties, you know, just get to it um, because you yourself are beautiful. So um, brave, bold, brilliant um, is all about you being you stepping into your light um, and knowing that um, you're going to be accepted because those who Mind don't matter. And those that matter don't mind. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect way to end. Oh, thank you so much, Bob. You have been so incredible. Of course, you are brave, bold and brilliant all in one. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is a great morning for me. <laughs> and it's bad. Barb, I mean, there's another B in there. So I'm like, I'm killing it on the babe, brave bold, brilliant Babs podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> You're turning the triple B into a quadruple B. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, thank you so much, Bob. You have been fabulous. Thank you. I'll see you in the hallways of Clubhouse. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review. 